You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Good morning, Bucknuts. It is Thursday, October 19th, 2019. I am Dan Rubin. This is the Bucknuts Morning 5 and Change coming to you from an overcast gem city. If it's Thursday, that can mean only one thing. Steve Wolfong checks in, Director of Recruiting for 24-7 Sports. Steve, how goes it? Good morning, Daniel. Going well, man. It's uh, going to be a crisp autumn day here. Sun is out, mid-50s. Sitting in my office, excited to be talking to y'all. Big weekend in the Big Ten, two marquee matchups. If you consider Ohio State part of a marquee matchup, we will get to that later on. First, we're going to stay in Steve's wheelhouse and talk recruiting. Yesterday, class of 2021 receiver Emeka Egbuka announced his final 10. Not really that noteworthy as all the usual suspects. But we need to understand who Emeka Egbuka is. This is a name you're going to be hearing a lot about. Wide receiver from the Seattle, Washington area. West Coast insider Brandon Huffman said yesterday when the teams were announced, he believes Washington is the favorite. Clemson and Ohio State would be his two choices if Egbuka decides to leave his home state. Let everybody know what level of player you think Egbuka is. Maybe compare him to some of the current Ohio State wide receiver recruits for perspective. Well, I've seen a Mecca in a camp setting, and he can absolutely run 4-4 laser time speed in the 40-yard dash. He's going to have a chance to run in that 4-3 range before he even steps on a college campus. So there's some serious juice there. He's a very versatile football player, but a, but a guy that you want to play on offense and, and, and put the ball in his hands. And, and he, can, he can obviously be a game breaker in that regard. When you look at the guys – uh, that Ohio State has committed in this class, he's in that same realm. So the standard remains the same, right? Uh, if you're going to recruit receivers in the 2021 class, they have to be guys that can push these 2020 receivers, and there's not very many of them. But Emeka Egbuka is one of them. Egbuka is from the same general area as G. Scott. Do you see that? Is there any possibility of an advantage there? Well, I believe they're part of different seven-on-seven clubs. Um, so uh, I don't know how close they are. Uh, obviously, when you're Ohio State, you're recruiting nationally for guys of this caliber. And, and Emeka Igbuka, if you listen to Brandon Huffman, who's going to be as close to that recruitment as anyone, uh, it's obvious that he's interested in Ohio State. Is G. Scott a reason? Uh, I don't know. Um, but I would suspect that the relationship with Brian Hartline, Ohio State's success at developing the position, and, and Ryan Day's impact on recruiting efforts as well have Ohio State in the thick of this. And, and you would probably point to the same things for Clemson uh, in their environment and culture, uh, pretty similar situations um, at Ohio State and Clemson from a – a culture standpoint, at least from my experience. And, and, and then, uh, um, so we'll see if those two schools can lure them away from the Pac-12. And, and I think if you look at the history here, uh, as of late, a lot of these West Coast guys 
are are electing to not play in the Pac-12 for uh, maybe a more uh, top-to-bottom competitive um, um, caliber, championship caliber uh, leagues of the Big Ten and the SEC, so we'll see. I do think the Pac-12 is on the uptick, though, if you look at what Arizona State's doing and and Oregon. Uh, Washington's got a big game this weekend. A lot of people have been – myself included, have have mentioned Washington as a program that's building themselves similarly to the way that Clemson uh, did early in the Dabasweeney era. But I'm kind of taking – I'm putting that in the pause. I got my blinkers on for that because I don't remember Clemson losing games that they were supposed to lose uh, early in the Dabasweeney era. And Washington seems to lose one or two ball games a year that they have no business losing under Coach Peterson. So – I'm starting to get into the did we get ahead of ourselves uh, based on what he did. I mean, he obviously built Boise into a, a mid-major power, and they would wreck Power 5 teams, and, and they were terrific. But it's different when you're actually in the Power 5, playing in the Power 5 week to week. And, and so Washington, if they lose to Oregon this weekend, that's already three losses for them uh, for a football team that I thought was pretty talented coming in. So maybe we're pumping the brakes on Chris Peterson. But we'll see what they do in a home game against Oregon on Saturday. Speaking of West Coast info, make sure you tune into the boarding house later on today. I have some really good stuff on West Coast recruiting from a new source I think everyone's going to really like. Speaking of the West Coast, let's stay out there. Any developments with C.J. Stroud, in your opinion, the quarterback who announced his offer after his visit? Where does your crystal ball stand on Stroud? Well, it's still with Ohio State. Uh, I haven't heard anything to make me believe that Ohio State's not the leader. C.J. keeps a lot of his plans and stuff in-house. Uh, I had posted on the uh, front row uh, that CJ didn't report his organ offer for weeks until he had it, kind of hinting he has an Ohio State one. He's just not putting it out there yet. I don't know what the idea is with that or, or what have you, but um, he he wants – the word is he'll visit Oregon twice. Uh, probably get back to Baylor. They've done as good a job as any program recruiting him. Are there others in the mix? If they are, I haven't really heard about them yet. So um, I, I think that uh, Ohio State's in a great position. I think his relationship with the 2020 Ohio State commits is helpful. Um, the opportunity to join a powerhouse football team that has an extremely thin quarterback depth chart for as good as Ohio State is, that quarterback room needs. Um, more um, capable championship caliber uh, players in it. And, and so C.J. Stroud, I would imagine, sees tremendous opportunity there as well. And, you know, we'll see we'll see what happens. Baylor's kind of in a similar situation. They're 6-0. and They have a really talented junior quarterback in Charlie Brewer. They, don't have, uh, they do have the Jerry Bohannon kid who showed some promise after, but they, they really need the depth at quarterback as well. Uh, Oregon... Um, is is a school that he, alongside Ohio State, said was a dream offer of his at the opening finals. They they want two quarterbacks in this class to get their numbers right in their quarterback room and get that up to four. Uh, Hebert is going to be gone to the NFL, uh, be an open competition next year between Tyler Shuck, the Millen kid. Um, I, I believe I'm leaving someone out and potentially, potentially Stroud. So um, Oregon trying to get their numbers right as well. As we go another year into the transfer portal era here, very high-profile names coming up. 
And when that happens, uh, Ohio State's name will come up at times because they tend to have recruited most of the high-profile kids in the country. Two very noteworthy names have entered the portal recently. I'd like your comments on both and whether you think Ohio State should make a move. The first is Antonio Alfano, the number one player in 24-7 sports, top 247 at one point, leaving Alabama. Nick Saban basically saying publicly that he quit. And Darnay Holmes, apparently leaving UCLA. Anybody who follows Ohio State recruiting knows that name. What do you think of the transfer plights of Alfano and Holmes? Well, back in February on National Signing Day, so this was after, or this was heading into spring ball, but Alfano on campus for workouts. Saban said that he had hoped that Alfano would contribute uh, during the season. And uh, so they had high expectations for him coming in, and obviously he did not meet them in Tuscaloosa. He's incredibly talented, tested off the charts, was a dominant player at the All-America Bowl last year. He has all the traits you're looking for from a pure player standpoint. But college football is not easy. There's a lot of um, expectations for a young man uh, to be um, to produce at a program of those magnitudes, Alabama, Ohio State. There's a lot of scrutiny. The coaching staff, there's a lot of expectation for these young men uh, on a day-to-day basis uh, to, to help them meet the caliber of player they want to be. Uh, but it's not easy at these schools to do that, and so I don't know, um, wh- you know, I don't know why Antonio Alfano is not at Alabama. Uh, he's incredibly talented, um, so we'll see if he can get it together at another place. Uh, because Alabama is a place where they've given young men second and third chances and worked with kids um, to to keep them within their program, and and so for Alfano to not even make it to the season uh, as a freshman is is very eye opening. Um, with, with some of the other young men that have been successful at Alabama and then struggled when they weren't in that structure. Uh, the second guy, Darnay Holmes, he was committed to Ohio State um, at one point silently. Um, I believe everyone knows that by now. Um, he was uh, he, he was committed so much that Ohio State was done at the position and may not have had room for Kendall Sheffield um, at, the, at that point when Darnay uh, had said he was coming. Um, but then you flip that later, Darnay showed up at the All-America Bowl saying he was going to go to Ohio State. That changed the USC midweek and was UCLA by the end of the week. So uh, there was a lot of change uh, in his college football decision um, to how he ended up at UCLA, and I'm sure that I don't even have all the information. That was just the information that was that I was privy to. Um, talent, another talented guy that uh, – that was a factor in the return game and an extremely confident cover guy that's played a lot of college football already. So it'll be interesting to see where he lands. We'll be right back with a look at the Big Ten action coming up this weekend. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, 
eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And we're back to big games on the docket. I will say for me, the most intriguing game of the year so far, not including Ohio State, Penn State versus Michigan. Your thoughts? Now, this game right here is just a this is a, a gut check for Michigan, right? They go up to Madison at noon and really just get tore apart. And then they play Iowa a couple weeks later, and the offense was a non-factor and a win, right? Penn State's playing at a high level on defense. Michigan's offense, this is the, this is the game where it's like, all right, it's time to – if we think we are really good, it's time to show in this game that we can play with teams of this caliber. Obviously, Michigan's offensive coordinator, Josh Gaddis, uh, spent a bulk of his career – uh, at Penn State and helped build this Penn State roster into what it is. And, and so he goes back to Happy Valley to uh, go up against, uh, you know, the head coach that really gave him uh, his first couple big breaks at Vanderbilt and then at Penn State So and James Franklin. So um, obviously that storyline's in play. I, I think that uh, two years ago, Michigan also got beat pretty soundly uh, in the same atmosphere. So uh, a lot of, a lot of, uh, this is more this game is so important for Michigan in the sense of changing the narrative of what people think of their football team because no one thinks that they're a contender right now. But if you beat Penn State at night in Happy Valley, all of a sudden you can start making people believers again because you got Notre Dame at home next weekend at night. And and so you have some ball games in front of you. Everything's still in front of Michigan. We just haven't seen anything from them that makes us confident that they're good enough to win these football games. Um, so I just think Penn State, the way they can run the football, the way they're flying around on defense, they have some game-breaking speed at the receiver position, and Sean Clifford, uh, at the very least, doesn't hurt them, and it sometimes has proven to be able to win them games. I, I like the way Penn State's trending, and, and uh, I think they're incredibly talented. So uh, I like Penn State in this one at night inside Beaver Stadium. Speaking of night games, Ohio State plays tomorrow night in Chicago against Northwestern. Heading into the season, many had fears about this, largely because Ohio State lost to Purdue in a similar situation. Last year, Northwestern does not have the offense Purdue does. They have struggled so far this season. What's your expectation for Ohio State in Evanston tomorrow night? They are about a 29-point favorite, depending when you look. Well, this is a good game for Ohio State in the sense that they should win, but they're also going to get tested in the sense that Northwestern's defense is really good. And so Ohio State's offense will get a chance to uh, measure themselves against one of the better defenses in the league and just continue to work on things uh, within their own offense that they're going to need in you know November and December when they're trying to win the national championship. Northwestern's linebackers are really good. They're deep at the they're deep on the defensive line and they're well coached and so I think schematically they're going to give Ohio State a challenge uh, in, in the sense of uh, executing their offense. Now with all that being said, I think that Ohio State's still going to be able to execute their offense and score points and and, and make things happen. And, and and I just Northwestern 
they've obviously really struggled on offense. Uh, they throw interceptions. Um, they don't gain much yards. They obviously don't score very many points. Uh, I don't see any way that they score enough to win unless this Ohio State offense that we think is pretty close to a well-oiled machine uh, sputters tremendously. Um, so I like Ohio State to win by at least three touchdowns, um, and, and I think that their offense will be able to come out of this game on the other side better for a championship as they continue their championship run. This will be a nice test for Justin Fields in the offense. going to be a very nice marketing opportunity as well. Friday night is a national stage. I think you can see Ohio State put a 50-burger up. We appreciate Steve stopping by. Have a good one, Bucknutters. Take care, guys. See you on the front row.